0: Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org.
1: Pray, pray with me this morning, if you would, Lord God, we do come. Jesus, we, we come proclaiming in song, Proclaiming it loud so that our own souls can hear. So that we can share the good news of the gospel with each other. That you are Lord of all. Lord, I don't know about all of my brothers and my sisters in this room right now. But I know there were some moments this past week. That I didn't fully live in your name I didn't live every moment of every day so that you could sign your name to the end of my day and I just confess that but I confess it with confidence in you Jesus that when I do that you you receive me to yourself that you invite me to come in fact you It's in those moments where I get to know you deepest. And so I pray for my brothers and sisters who, like me, may not have lived in such a way every moment of every day that you could sign your name. And we come grateful for your forgiveness that you had already bestowed on us, knowing our weakness. We come again in these moments declaring that's why we're so thankful that you're our cornerstone, that you are the foundation of our faith, Jesus. Because we know without you, we have nothing. We have no hope. We have no possibility of joy. We have no eternal life. So Jesus, we come again this morning declaring to each other, declaring to our own souls, our hope and our trust in you. And we choose again in these moments to to make you our foundation, our cornerstone. Bless us, we pray, as we open your word. Teach us. Holy Spirit, we are grateful for your presence, and we are asking that you lead us and guide us now into all truth. It's in your name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you. you. You may be seated. I want to especially thank our, our worship team today. They, they had a kind of a last-minute change. Um, Kyler and his family have a little sickness going on, and they didn't want to spread it, and we applaud them for that. Yay. Because um, we're trying to take care of each other in, in a good way these days. And so uh, we just want to know that. But uh, our, our team had to make all kinds of adjustments this morning. Because of that and I'm so grateful for their flexibility and uh, just uh, thank God for them. I don't know how many of you have already had opportunity to enjoy the beauty of our day a little bit out there. It has been just a beautiful couple of days um, and uh, so, so grateful to God for that. The sunrise this morning was really beautiful. It was just a, a beautiful sunrise and I uh, was just grateful to, to see that the Lord is doing what he said he was going to do. Um, it's a, it, it, it was a new day. And I remember yesterday, as we were thinking about the beauty of the day, hearing a weatherman talk about the barometric pressure and uh, what that was going to be like that day. And he named some number. I don't know what you know, uh, all that means. I do know uh, it caused me to kind of look around a little bit. To, uh, so I Googled it just to make sure I kind of, you know, because I had forgotten some stuff I learned in, you know, earth History or whatever it was, the science, earth science, I think, as it was called, and, um, and barometric pressure was just this, this is a little trivia for you. Barometric pressure is just basically the amount of weight that air molecules press down on any given point on the planet at any given time, and supposedly it's constantly changing at all I, I, any and every given moment. And uh, so you know, one of the ways that we normally hear it are things like high pressure system and low pressure system. And the weatherman yesterday talked about this high-pressure system that has been responsible for our beautiful blue skies. And those of you know that in the Charleston area, if you've lived here very long, that that's normally what high-pressure systems mean in our region of the world. But low-pressure systems, not so much. In fact, if the low-pressure system gets low enough, what do we call those in the southeast? Hurricanes, that's what we call them. They, they are hurricanes. So Hurricane Hugo was one of the lowest barometric pressures ever registered in the, in the Charleston area. And uh, so, so these things, you know, can play havoc on weather. Well, interestingly enough, I have discovered, I believe, that our souls have pressure systems too. Our, our, our very souls can be sensitized to pressure systems. And just like a, a, a high-pressure system can mean blue skies to uh, you know, our weather, I have discovered that thankful, grateful systems in our souls can mean blue skies for our lives in lots of ways and, and bring, bring joy. And that gripeful systems... Anybody got a grateful system, or know somebody who might have one? A grateful system, you know, in their soul uh, is kind of grumbling, you know, kind of grieving all of life. That 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 kind of thing that can lead to soul depression, soul uh, oppression in, in many ways. And I've just discovered that your joy o meter, your joy, you know, rating, if you would, can be impacted. By your grateful system or your gripeful system, whichever one you choose to to feed and live in. And uh, I I heard a story this past week about a a man who his life was uh, more. He kind of fed the gripeful system more, and so his one one of the ways he did this is um, just about every day he would come home from work and. He would, you know, ask, hey, what's for, what's for dinner tonight? And his wife would tell him. And almost like clockwork, he would gripe about it. And then he would sit down at the table and pray and ask God to bless it, and he would give thanks for it. Well, he had this little five-year-old daughter, and uh, this day was no different. He came home, and, you know, he'd ask his wife what was for dinner, and then he griped about it. He said something, you know, like, we just had that last week. And his little girl noticed that. And then he sat down at the table and he did what he kind of did. He prayed and he thanked God for this meal. And he asked God to bless it. And so they, they began eating and the, his little girl said, Daddy, does God, does God hear us when we pray? And he said, oh, yeah, baby. God, God hears us when, when we pray. He, he definitely he, he, he hears our prayers. And so she thought for a minute, kept on eating. And she looked at her daddy and says, well, daddy, does, does God hear us when we say everything else? And he said, yes, baby. God hears everything that we say. He knows everything. He, he, he's that close to us. And he was starting to feel kind of proud that his prayer had inspired this kind of spiritual inquiry in his daughter's heart until she asked the next question. When she asked her dad, dad, so if God hears what we pray and God hears what we say, which one does he believe? Your prayer life recently and the other words that you use in your life, which one would you hope that God is believing about you these days see there is a connection uh, there's a connection throughout the whole of scripture that there is a uh, kind of interdependence of the joy that we live out of and the thankfulness in, in our hearts it, it's it, the, the, there, there's connecting that giving thanks often leads to us experiencing joy in, in the Lord and I want us to see that today in our journey. If you're kind of new here, if this may be your first time with us, we have been kind of marching our way through the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. And we're going we're gonna to pick that up today. We're, we're in chapter 8. Now, chapter 8 is an incredible chapter. We're not going to be cover, able to cover all of the beautiful details of that chapter and all that can mean in, in our lives. Uh, this is the chapter that uh, contains the verse that I believe is the Uh, most quoted verse from the entire book of Nehemiah. um, It's verse 10. We're going to get to that in just a minute. But I want us to work our way through the whole chapter, okay? Work our way through the whole chapter today. And so uh, we're going to start reading in in Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 1. So if you have your Bibles there, you may want to open. It's going to come up on the screen. But in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1, we read this. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate, And they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. Now, I want to pause there for just a minute and notice a couple of things. First of all, it says that they were all gathered together. And and you'll see in a moment, it becomes this kind of great Bible conference, a week long, kind of like the, a, a VBS, Vacation Bible School on Steroids. I mean, it was just this great Bible conference. Whole families were involved in it. And it says, and they were gathered as one. They were united. There was perfect unity among them. Now, again, just give you some history background. Remember what had happened that these people had, what they had been through They had been through just this tremendous season um, and uh, they had seen God do something. And I believe they were at one of the uh, kind of climaxes of thankfulness to God in their lives because they saw something they saw God do something over a 52-day period that they were not able to accomplish on their own for for 15 years actually for about hundred years there there had been attempts to rebuild the wall of their city Jerusalem and they had been unsuccessful at that. And those of you that have been with us since the beginning of this kind of look and journey into rebuilding, you know that they had to do the construction under constant threat of attack. The Bible tells us that they had to work with one hand and hold a sword in the other. Back in Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 17, we read this. Those who were building the wall, the laborers carried on their work with one hand, supporting their load on one hand, holding a weapon." And all the builders had a sword belted to their side. See, these people had seen God move. They had seen God deliver them from this constant threat of attack, this this group that was threatening to overpower them. They saw God protect them and empower them to do what they did not think was possible. They did not believe it could happen. And so they've had this powerful, personal experience with with God, and they're living out of that, and I believe their hearts are thankful. Now, before this, uh, too many of them, probably most all of them, had lived defeated lives. They lived just in this rubble, this, these torn down uh, walls, the, the, these stones everywhere, the, just in, in ruins, and, and their lives were similar to the city, and it was similar because they had allowed their past to define who they had become as, as God's people. Now, friends, I, I just want to say this. I, I have worked hard to let my past remind me, but not define me. It's so easy to let your past define you, but if you do that, you're, you're going to miss what the Lord wants to do in your present In Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22 and 23, some of you are familiar with this. The the verses say this, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, God. See, God's got something new for you every morning. Something new for you and something new for you to do. In Isaiah chapter 49, uh, excuse me, 43 verse 19, uh, God's word says, behold I will do something new. It goes on to say, now it will spring forth. And then there's this great question. Will you not be aware of it? Are you aware when God does something new around you? Sometimes it pops up. Sometimes it springs forth. But are you aware of what God is doing around you? And if you're not, it might be because you have let your past define you. And if that's true, you're not going to be able to answer God's question. Yes, it's just going to be no because you won't see the new things that God is doing because you're stuck in your past. See, God had moved among these people and they had now experienced him in a way they had not known before. And they wanted more, more of God. So look with me, if you will. I'm going to go back and read verse 1 and then continue. It says, And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra, this is verse 2, The priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard. And so we're talking about their their, their, their children were, were were gathered here with them. And this was on uh, the, the, the first day of the seventh month. And then verse 3 it says, And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate. No, notice this. From early morning until midday. Did you all pack your lunch? No? I was hoping somebody would pack mine. Until midday in the presence of... Of the men and the women, and those who could understand, and the ears of all the people, notice what they were, they were attentive. They were attentive to the book of the law. Some of these people had not heard the word of God read at all in their lives. This was uh, for many of them the first time. And, and so they, they had seen God do what they thought was impossible. God enabled them. God equipped them. God gave them power. God's now giving them their word. And here's the first point that I want to make out of this today is this. You will grow thankful if you will stop to listen when you see God move. I believe the hearts of these people had been transformed because they, they stopped After they saw God move, they came together to listen to the word of God. And friends, here's the deal. If you will do that, when you see God move, if you will stop and listen, you'll see your grateful, your thankful system start to to rise, and you'll see your grumbling, griping system start to diminish if you will stop and listen and learn from God as you're seeing him move. Now, some of you might say, Oh, well, yeah, but I, I got I to see God move. Just don't know if I have. Let me remind you of something that Jesus told his disciples. It's found in John chapter 5. It's verse 17 and verse 20. It, Jesus said this to his disciples. He says, my father is always at his work. Always. He says, to this very day. And now Jesus says, and I too am working I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he does. See, Jesus is telling his disciples that God is always at work. Always at work around us God is always moving God is always accomplishing his redemptive kingdom issue uh, mission and what you and I have to do is we have to open our eyes to it we have to we have to look for it and Jesus says that, that that's what he did when he came and he walked among us the way that he engaged in the ministry that he engaged in was he looked to see what his father was doing because he knew his father was always at work around him and so that's what we've got to do We've got to have eyes that seek to see God at work. And when we see God moving in, in this world, we've got to stop. We've got to listen and we've got to learn from him. Let's keep moving into the, the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 4, it says, And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for this purpose. So they had built a platform for this, this moment, for this reading of God's word. And it says, and beside him stood Matahiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Maaseiah. And his, that was on his right hand. They don't get much better with the names on his left hand either, just as, as you'll see here. Padeiah, uh, Mishael, Malachiah, Hashum, Hashbadana. Zachariah Meshulam on his left hand that would be this hand this is a reason you need to be careful when you name your kids somebody's going to have to call their name out one day but did you notice whose name wasn't mentioned did you Nehemiah Nehemiah's not on this list Nehemiah at this moment not on the stage Nehemiah had been front and center all through this movement. But now, God has a different plan for him. God has a different plan for his purpose. And it was time for Nehemiah to push somebody else into a role of leadership. Remember we said a couple weeks ago that the first half of the book of Nehemiah is all about rebuilding a wall. But the second half is a rebuilding of God's people. And we're seeing this shift here. Verse 5 says this, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood, and all the people answered. uh, And Ezra blessed the Lord, uh, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads, and they worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Now, it names some others. It says, Also, Yeshua, Benai, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shebithai, Hodiah, Maaseiah, Kalita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah, the Levites helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. So there were others now that, that came out. So Ezra had read the law, and now they break into small groups. They get into these smaller groups and they start talking about Verse 8 says they read from the book of the law of God clearly and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Now remember, many of these people had been in exile in a foreign country and had picked up the language of Babylon. And some of them didn't understand all the nuances of the Hebrew language. And so they're coming back, some of them, having to learn again Hebrew. And so some they were having to be taught what these, what these words means. It says so that it got a sense. Verse 9. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, this is an interesting moment. Nehemiah has at some point been named governor now. He's been appointed as, as governor of, of this particular province in Jerusalem, and it says, and Nehemiah who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people said to the people, "This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep." And it says this: "For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. These folks, they were overwhelmed. They had not heard God's word in such a long time. Some of them may have never heard it read in all of their lives. And now some of them are hearing it for the first time and they were just overcome. Uh, it, it, was, it was this wave of, of almost grief. And it said that uh, th- they said to them, Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day is holy to our lord and do not be grieved for the joy of the lord is your strength now I want you to hold that thought we're going to come back to that more at the end the joy of the lord is your strength that's verse 10 that's the one that I says most quoted I believe verse 11 so the levites calmed all the people saying be quiet for this day is holy do not be grieved And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to to make great rejoicing because they had understood, they understood the words that were declared to them. Verse 13 says this, On the second day, the heads of fathers' houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. Now, I I like the way the New American Standard Bible translates this verse. I I think it translates it a little better. It says it this way. They gathered to Ezra the scribe that they might gain insight into the words of the law. And that leads to the second point that I want to make today, and it's this. We'll grow more thankful, more, more grateful when we graduate from input to insight, when we graduate from input to insight, uh, Dr. Uh, Chuck Swindoll helped me get captured to that, that, that insight there. See, they, they were coming back. These were people coming back the second day. They had been there the first day. Now they're coming back on the second day, and here's what they're doing. They're looking for more God. They, they want to know God even more than they've experienced him. They want to they see him in a new way. They, they didn't just want to settle for having the word of God read to them and translated to them. Uh, just, you know, some very basic explanation. They wanted to see God in all his glory. They're seeking insight. They're seeking something deeper. They, they, wanted, they wanted God's perspective on the world. They were hoping for, you know, kind of a biblical worldview to develop into their lives. They desire to grow in the Lord. They were moving from people who just got some input to people who longed for for insight. You know, throughout his ministry, the Apostle Paul challenged Christ's followers to make this move from input to, to insight you know, he, he, would, he would go plant churches and then a lot of times he would come back and visit those churches and, and he would write letters. And one of those letters that he wrote was to the church at Corinth. In 1 Corinthians 3, I want you to read, listen to these words. It says, Paul writes, Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people, spiritually mature people. He said, I had to talk to you as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in the Christian life. I had to feed you with milk. Not solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger. And you still aren't ready, for you are still controlled. Notice now, this is a description of how he knows they're not ready for for something deeper. For you're still controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another, and you quarrel with each other. See, these are signs that the input had not transformed them. That they had not become people of insight. They were, their hearts and minds had not been transformed. They were still living out of spirits of jealousy towards one another. Which meant they were putting themselves and their needs and their wants and their comforts above others around them. They were elevating their wants, their wishes, their desires above those of others around them. And it says they were still quarreling. They were quarreling about petty things, things that had no real kingdom value. The writer of Hebrews addressed this same issue. Hebrews chapter 5, we read these words. It says, For by this time you ought to be teachers, but you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. If, if, you're, if you have a King James Bible right there, it says you, you need milk, not strong meat. Uh, you know, a good ri- ribeye, uh, you know, a porterhouse or something like that. You, you, you just need milk. You don't get to eat from, from the meat table. It says, For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he's a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Now, re- remember our account. They, they had begun to attend this Bible conference that broke out that, that ends up going on all week. And it says that they gathered to Ezra the scribe to gain insight. They want meat. They're done with the milk. They're, they're, ready, to, they're ready to bite into something. Now, that word that gets translated there in the, he- the Hebrew language, insight, it means to be Prudent. It means to live out of godly wisdom. It means to be able to have foresight and understanding into what's going on. And and the idea here is that it, it would impact our lives, that we would be discerning in the way that we lived. Friends, I don't know if there's ever been a day where insight is critical to Christ's followers I, I just—it's—it—it—it it, it, got—it's just got to give us uh, the understanding of who God wants us to be if we want to see our joys ra- joy raised. But so many people, so many people have this vast, what I'll call just knowledge of Bible facts, but it it hasn't transformed their souls. They're still not thankful. They're gripeful, grumbling constantly. They're not being transformed in their heart. And here's the truth. And you know some people like this. You know, people could sit year after year being taught verse by verse and never gain insight. Never be transformed. It's tragic, but it's true. And Jesus experienced this with with his 12 disciples. Some of you will remember there was this miracle. It's the only miracle that's recorded in all four Gospels. It's the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 with five loaves of bread and two fish. And you may recall the disciples, they didn't just witness it. they, They were involved. They were passing out. You know, these five loaves of bread that, you know, that, that, who is it? Panera has the endless bowl. Somebody has that endless bowl, you know. They just kept passing out the bread and passing out the fish. And pass, and it was just five loaves, to fish. And they just kept passing out to feed 5,000 people. And then at the end of that, they were the ones that were going around collecting all the leftover food. Piles of it, the Bible tells us. They were engaged in this miracle but it was just input for them, and hadn't moved to insight because the later, uh, just a few hours later, in fact, Jesus sends them out on the lake. He says, I want you to get in the boat and go across, paddle across. And they start, and the wind starts up, and it's kind of a little storm coming up. And they are panicked, the Bible says. And Jesus comes out walking on the water, which scares them even more. And he steps into the boat, and he says... Peace, be still. And the wind stops. And the Bible says they were greatly astonished. Why? Because they had seen something earlier, but it had not transformed them. They, they, didn't, they still didn't realize who they were with and the power that he had to provide for them and to protect them and to, to give them everything they needed. We'd have thought they'd have learned that valuable lesson at the, the, the miracle of the, the 5,000 being fed, but they didn't. They were, they were still just greatly astonished. Friends, being astonished is something that happens sometimes with input, but it doesn't transform our souls. People come to, to, to church services over and over again, and for some, it just turns them off. They just show up and they, nothing goes on in their hearts, but others can't get enough. Others, others just are like sponges. They, they want more and they grow in their, their spiritual lives. And I, and I see them and I think, oh my goodness, this is, this is incredible watching this person be excited about their faith and, and grow in their faith. Now, what's the difference between those two people? Uh, to me, it's, I've just seen it down one thing, attitude. Their, their hearts attitude. One group has a teachable spirit and the other one has, you know, they think they've got all the answers already. One group is saying, God, God, speak to me. God, I want more. And you see them being transformed before your very eyes. But the person with an unteachable spirit, a closed heart, nothing transforms internally. And the longer I live, the more important I see the value of attitude. And this attitude of gratitude, this attitude of thankfulness versus this attitude of griping and grumbling is transformative. Let's keep moving in our events in Nehemiah because I want to show you the third truth. In Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 14, it says this, And they found, in the, uh, they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths. Some translations say dwell in tents during the feast of the seventh month. Basically, they discovered that God had commanded that there would be this week-long celebration of thanksgiving. And they would all go on a great tent camp out. The whole nation would go camping together. And God promised that he would be with them and that he, he would protect them and it, it would be incredible. And it says that uh, this was to happen in the seventh month and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. And it said, go out to the hills and bring branches of olive and wild olive, branches of myrtle and palm and other leafy, leafy trees to make booths. As it is written. And then verse 16 says this. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his own roof. And in their courts and in the courts of the house of God. And in the square at the water gate and in the square at the gate of Ephraim. They were building these tents, these, these booths, all over the city. On housetops and in the courtyards. They were, they were doing what God had told them to do. And not only that, they went out and told everybody. Because this was such good news. They were hearing that God had planned this season of celebration, this this season of Thanksgiving, this annual event, and that God would be with them in their midst and they would see God move. And so they went out and did it. Now, what's interesting is these people had never seen this done before, they didn't even know it was a thing. They didn't know God had commanded this, and they were just so excited that God had created this rhythm of life for them where they could celebrate being thankful. In fact, some estimate that this festival hadn't taken place for at least 200 years. Some even farther back, even, even to, to, to Joshua. But now they had insight from the Lord. They were obeying God's word. They were applying These insights, in other words, they were engaging, which leads me to my third point today, and that's this. We grow more thankful when we graduate from insight to engagement, from input to insight, from insight to engagement. And here is where we begin to experience God with greater frequency as we engage, as we apply. Jesus' half-brother was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write these words in James chapter 1. Don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. Look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free. And if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. See, friends, doing the Word of God is what makes all the difference in the world. It's, it's, in, it's in the doing. When when we get to later in our study of the book of Nehemiah, this is where we're going to find out that this great revival breaks out. God's people get revived and refreshed because they are obeying the word of the Lord. This is what engagement does. This is what engaging the word of God into our daily lives will do for us. Even in the midst of the mess of this world, it will bring joy. The Apostle John reminded Christ followers in 1 John 2. It says, the world, this world is passing away along with all its desires. It, 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 it's, it, it's passing away. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. You'll, you'll, you'll abide in him. You'll thrive in life with, with him forever. Jesus described this dynamic with him for those who you know, would actually engage the will of God through the word of God. In Mark chapter 3, we read these words from Jesus. He says, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and my sister and my mother. What Jesus is telling us is that engaging the word of God, applying it, it it transforms us. It it actually shifts our personal relationship with God. And, And we get to experience our salvation in Christ in a different way. We get to experience relationally. So how do we how do we follow you know, this path that God's people in Nehemiah's day took? What, what does that look like, this movement from input to insight to, to engagement? I want to make it really simple for you. Look at your hand. Just look at your hand. You pick which one, okay? You pick which one. Here's the pathway of engagement in God's word, the pathway of doing God's word. First thing you need to do is do like Nehemiah's people in his day. They, they heard God's word. Second thing that they began doing is reading. They got in those small groups, and they were doing a little reading together. And then they studied God's Word together. They were digging in a little more. They wanted to know more. They were gaining insight. And then they start putting God's Word into their lives. That's memorizing God's Word. So they start doing that activity of putting God's Word into their hearts and minds. And then they meditate on it. They're thinking about what it says when they encounter it. And and then what happens is they go do it. So there are these five steps that lead to this engagement and it's the engagement in God's word that really begins to to change things. Here's my last point from this passage out of Nehemiah. Look at verse 17. It says, in all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity, they made booths, they lived in the, so they're doing the word of God. And it says, for from the days of Yeshua, the son of Nun, okay, this is back to Joshua. From that day, the people of Israel had not done so. They hadn't celebrated this great celebration. And now, look at this, there was very great, very great, very great what? Rejoicing. Their lives had been transformed and joy was coming. Friends, here's the deal. Your thanksgiving will grow into joy as you continue to abide in Christ. Our, our, as we live in that system of giving thanks, of, of gratefulness, God will transform that into joy in our lives as we continue to abide in him, as we move from on this continuum of input and insight, and into engagement. And you'll begin to see your soul transformed from the inside out, so that even when you're facing the difficulties of this world, you won't give yourself over to griping and grumbling and and grieving, but to gratefulness and joy in the Lord. And this is why Nehemiah 8.10 is such a favorite verse of so many. Look what it says. It says, and do not be grieved, don't, don't give yourself over to that grieving, griping, grumbling system. Don't, don't go there. And here's why. Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. Abiding in the Lord will give us joy and, and we will be strengthened. We don't have to live our life in that other, other system. The joy of the Lord becomes our strength. It becomes what what we're about, the joy of of the Lord, the joy of of living in the purposes of, of Christ will strengthen our soul. Only living in the joy of the Lord will do that. It brings a new kind of strength. Jesus told his disciples about this in John chapter 15, verse 7. It says this, If you abide in me, Jesus said, and my words abide in you. That means you've moved from input to insight to engagement. They're abiding, they're alive in you. You can ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And Then Jesus says this, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. Jesus, Jesus has this strategy that your joy may be made full. Abiding in him, living in that system that mindset, if you would, of, of gratefulness and thankfulness is the pathway to, to having this joy-filled life. There's this interdependent relationship between your gratefulness, your gratitude, your choosing to give thanks to God and experiencing a life that is filled with joy. And I want us to engage today in a, in a celebration that Jesus told his followers to engage with. It's not, it's not the, the booth. We're not, we're not going camping. Because I know most of you didn't bring your tents with you today. But it's another celebration that Jesus told his followers. That was a very special celebration. That he would be present in in a unique way. And it would deepen our relationship with him. If we would engage it. And it's the celebration of his sacrifice. It's a celebration of, of communion. And I'm going to ask the worship team if they'll begin making their way up here. See, the Apostle Paul writes about this in, in the book of 1 Corinthians. In chapter 11, Paul writes these words. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Verse 28 says, Let a person examine himself, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Now, what we're going to do in these next few moments is what Paul called us to do. And the worship team is going to lead us through a song called Remember. And that's what we want to take these moments to do, is to remember, to prepare our hearts to receive the Lord's Supper together, to take communion together. Now, if you came in and did not stop and grab um, the elements for the Lord's Supper, they're on tables in the hallways. You'll, you'll need to go during this song and, and grab some for you and your family and then just come back and, and then sit before the Lord. And let the Spirit of God walk you through Maybe how you need to remember. Maybe maybe there's something that you need to confess to the Lord uh, this morning. That Examining your own heart, letting the Lord do that and just confess it to the Lord. You let the Holy Spirit guide you. Use this this time and this song to remember. And let the Spirit lead you. And then then in a moment we're going to come back together and take communion together. And so I'm just going to ask you to be prepared to do that at at the close of this song. take your cup element and I'm just going to tell you a little, little trick. If you will take that tab that's on the side and just push it down and let it flick back up, it'll help you, trust me. But what I want you to do is I want you to just pull back that top layer of plastic and pull out the little wafer. The Bible tells us that on the night of his suffering, on the night before his sacrifice on the cross that Jesus took the bread And that he gave thanks. And he broke it and he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The Bible says that in the same way that Jesus also took the cup. And he said, this is the new covenant In my blood, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. I've asked Scott Cockhill, one of our elders, if he would come and lead us in a prayer of thanksgiving for the sacrifice that that Jesus made. Good morning, all. Please join me in prayer. Lord, we come to you on this uh, Sunday, thankful for all that you provide us that we probably just do not and cannot ever really measure up to. I, uh, I wanna thank you, Lord, for this church. I wanna thank you, Lord, for this pastor. I wanna thank you, Lord, for the many people that are members of this church. And as we get ready to celebrate Thanksgiving, I would hope that as we travel, many of us a great distance, and as people come in a great distance, I would pray, Lord, that their mind would be on you as we reach outward and upward in order to really, truly give thanks to you for all that you have provided through the giving of your life for us. For it's in your precious name we pray. Amen. One of the great ways that we get to give thanks is participating in the work of commission that Jesus gave us. It's it's an expression of our thanks that we get to be a part of that great work of of redeeming this lost and broken world and he has called each of us to be commissioned to take the good news of his love to every man, woman and child where we live, work and play, but also to the ends of the earth. And one of the ways that we're privileged to do that is a partnership with Samaritans Purse through um, these shoeboxes, Operation Christmas Child shoeboxes. And the purpose of these is to reach children for Christ, to help them come to saving knowledge of Jesus and then become passionate disciples uh, uh, of Jesus. So the purpose of these boxes, though they are gifts inside and they are toys, the purpose is the good news of Jesus. I want you to watch this video about kind of the follow-up journey of what happens after kids get these boxes. Watch this video for a second.
2: He's behind me, i because they've just received their boxes.
0: Have you ever thought what comes after the box? At Samaritan's Purse, we we've got an incredible program after Operation Christmas Child. It's called The Greatest Journey. The purpose of Samaritan's Purse is evangelism. We just don't want to just hand out a box. Children that put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we want them to grow in their faith. We want to disciple them and raise up an army of young kids who can take their faith and share it with another child so that that person will put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. This is what it's all about, evangelism, taking the gospel to another generation. You
2: shall love the Lord your God. So you know that? You're passing on what you've learned to another person, not just keeping the knowledge for yourself. You feel love. You feel like, you know what, I'm at home. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do right now.
0: We always work through the local church, and when it's all said and done and the training's finished, these kids are going to be part of the church, going out into their communities, sharing their faith in Jesus Christ. The greatest journey is a great opportunity to impact the life of a child, Teaching children how to share their faith with their friends and family around the world. Raising up an army of evangelists who can take the gospel to the next generation.
1: So it's about the Great Commission that Jesus gave us as his followers. And some of the folks that have been, I mean so many families have been gracious in participating in this. But our River kids have had great, y'all come on in. Our River kids have just been delighted to participate in building boxes and bringing. Yeah, welcome them. Yeah. Yeah. They're coming. We're, we're going to ask them, as part of our commissioning of these boxes, to lay hands on them. Our student ministry team has also been deeply involved. Our Driven team, our, our, our students, have been involved in preparing lots of these boxes. And so we've asked one of our uh, students from a Driven Ministry, Megan Wolf, if she would come and lead our prayer of commissioning of these boxes. So folks, I'm just going to ask you to lay your hands on them as Megan prays for these boxes to go do what God intends them to do do. let's pray together
3: god we don't know where these boxes are going who they're going to or what part of the world they're going to reach but you do so bring excitement and the joy of you to the kids that receive them we pray that the boxes will be a useful tool to spread your word to kids and their families we pray for the children and the families and the impact that these are going to have on them we hope that they take the knowledge of you and share it with others Lastly, God, we ask for your protection over these boxes through the transportation process and that they make it where they're supposed to go. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Yeah. Thank you, Megan. Um, we want to close our time today by not only sending these boxes out with joy, but sending you out with joy. These boxes are going to go tell a story, and we are called to go tell a story. So I'm going to ask you to stand, if you would and join us in singing what may feel like a Christmas song. So we're going to kind of kick it off a little bit today. But stand and uh, share with us in worship.
2: Here we go, come on!
3: On the city wall, and
2: if I am a Christian, I am the least of all. Tell it on the mountains over the hill.
1: tell it. No, I mean it. Get out of here. Go go tell it. With grateful hearts, not gripeful hearts. Go tell it and live in the joy the Lord provides for you. God bless you. Happy Thanksgiving.